You're listening to Beyond the Studio, a podcast for artists. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. We're both independent working artists ourselves. And here on the podcast, we have honest conversations with fellow visual artists about their careers and the real work that happens beyond the studio. You can find us online at our website, beyondthe.studio, or on social media at Beyond the Studio, where we share episode links, visuals, and so much more. If you're an artist and would like to be featured on our social media, or maybe even on the show, you can submit yourself to our listener spotlight and share what you're learning beyond the studio. Just follow the link in our show notes or go to beyondthe.studio slash contact. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about, and click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through I am are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you love the show and haven't rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast, what are you waiting for? Please take a moment to show us your support. If you've already done this, thank you. It means so much to us, and it's one of the best ways to help us keep going and growing. This episode is brought to you by Annie's Kit Clubs, delivering creativity right to your mailbox. With nearly 100 years of crafting experience, Annie's helps you try a new craft every month. Crochet or knit an afghan, build your fabric stash, or introduce your kids to crafting. In your kit, you'll receive all the special supplies and expert instructions to make something new every month. As artists, it's important to have a creative outlet and hobby outside of your work and practice, and Annie's can help you learn new skills like woodworking, jewelry making, knitting, or crochet. I learned to crochet last year because I needed a hobby. So I made my first blanket and it was just a repeat of the same pattern, which was fun, but left me wanting more. So when I got my first Annie's kit, I was so excited to get started on the Moroccan Tile Crochet Afghan Club Kit. I chose this kit so I could make a beautiful blanket and learn new patterns and techniques along the way. I get to build crochet skills month by month while stitching beautiful tiles, which is perfect for advanced beginners, which is what I guess I am. Each kit includes all the yarn and patterns to crochet a new section of your afghan, which is complete after the 10th kit. Annie's also has helpful online video tutorials that walk you through every step of the way, which is my favorite way to learn, but also has paper patterns if that's your style. No matter your age, skill level, or crafting interest, Annie's has a kit club for you. Use our promo code BEYONDTHESTUDIO75 for 75% off your first month of your subscription to their kits at annieskitclubs.com. That's annieskitclubs.com. Thanks for listening, and now for the show. Hello, hello. It is one of your hosts here, Amanda. Um, I'm coming at you from the year 2023 to drop in a few words before we drop into today's episode. First being that Nicole and I recorded this while we were actually on our podcast break. We had already committed to taking the break, but had still scheduled some recordings. So we wanted to get those done before actually taking the proper break. So Nicole and I had this conversation when we were still feeling a little bit stressed, when she hadn't even really started the 
public art project that we talked about a few episodes ago. Um, I had not even started doing any of the video work. So it was really cool listening back to this conversation after all of that had happened because you can really hear where some of those seeds were getting planted and some of these ideas were really starting to begin. And we don't often share our episodes out of order But when we do, it's kind of fun to see how things actually played out. So we had this conversation in the middle of last year before Nicole and I made some major changes to our lives and work. And now you know about those changes and what's happened. So that's why this conversation may sound a little out of order, because it is. It's a great conversation, and we are so happy to share it with you. On today's episode, we have the honor of interviewing Jocelyn Sai, an Oakland-based illustrator, muralist, painter, sculptor, and animator. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. For artists and listeners that are not familiar with your work, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the work that you create and kind of walking us through your creative background thus far and, and your journey? Yeah, so I guess... I do identify as a lot of different types of artists because I work in a lot of different mediums, but there is like one connecting factor throughout like all the work that I make. And it's that there's these amorphous figures that I depict in my work and the amorphous figures are yeah, pretty central and like the focal aspect of all the work that I make. and. Basically, I think of them as like vessels for myself to kind of work through personal reflections. But at the same time, I think it's like a vehicle for me to communicate with um, the outside world. So I've started drawing this figure in 2013. And it used to be really, really simple. I would just like draw it in my sketchbook, um, like pen and paper. And they would usually be like line drawings in black and white. But throughout the years, I decided to like stick with the figure because I really enjoyed like how I was able to express and communicate certain things through the figure that I found I wasn't able to do with other types of illustration that I was exploring. So I started to teach myself how to like illustrate in different ways and like render the figure in different ways because my background's actually in graphic design. I had gone to SVA in New York for graphic design. So illustration was just like something that I was like interested on the side. And sometimes I would like incorporate illustration into my design projects. And when I learned animation, I also got to illustrate more, but I think there were a lot of things that I just kind of taught myself about illustration um, because it was so inspiring to me. I would like seek out like other artists that were doing things that I thought were really cool with illustration and just try to kind of like build this world around my characters slowly but surely. So yeah, I feel like the figure now looks really different from what it looked like when I first started drawing it in 2013. But I guess like the core of it is still pretty much the same or like what I try to speak to is still pretty similar. Um, But yeah, nowadays 
I do like editorial illustration work, brand illustration work, but I also do a lot of murals and like personal fine art painting. And most recently I've been making ceramics. So it's just interesting to me to see like how I can push my figure as a form and see like what kinds of yeah mediums it can exist in. Oh, that's awesome. I want to pull it back a little bit and ask about like kind of your your early decision to pursue art or or like your early realization that pursuing art was a possibility. And if that was something that, you know, whether you had like mentors or if your family was artistic or not artistic, like how did you kind of find your way to art and see it as like a, a real possible future for yourself? Yeah, that's a good question because it wasn't a possibility in my reality for a really long time. No other family members are in like the creative fields. So growing up, I didn't really think that becoming an artist was like an option. Um, And I'd grown up in Shanghai. Um, My family's from Taiwan. And um, my sister and I went to international school from a really young age when we were in Shanghai, but the school was like super academic. And I feel like there's just like a cultural norm of like what you're supposed to pursue as a career and what things are kind of like taboo or seen as impractical. So there were no other, like, I didn't know anybody that pursued art. Mm -hmm. Like, as a real career and when I did hear stories they were like a horror story yeah <laughs> like I feel like um parents would like spread these stories around to like scare us into not choosing oh. <laughs> yeah. art like yeah like so-and-so's daughter tried to make it as an artist but now they don't have a job <laughs> and I'm like oh my god okay so I guess this is like how we all think about pursuing artist career mm-hmm. but Luckily, I think like my parents were really encouraging once they saw that like art was something that I was actually really interested in beyond like a hobby. Mm -hmm. So they supported me in like doing art programs like during the summers. Because in the summers, we had family in California. So we would Mm -hmm. come visit like my relatives. And then I would take some like classes, workshops or like enroll in art programs. And that's when I kind of realized, whoa, there's like this whole other world out there where I feel like I belong with people who are creative. And it was super eye-opening to me. And I think that was when I was like, whoa, this is like the kind of environment I want to be in. And these are the types of people I want to be around. So I think this is what I want to pursue, even though it would be really hard. Yeah, so I decided like, okay, I'm going to apply to some art schools for college and also some like regular colleges because I was still a little bit unsure. But I think after a while, I was like, okay, I need to just accept the fact that this is what I'm the most passionate about. Like I was trying so hard to fit myself into like another box, something that I felt like my peers were part of. And I felt like I had to be like that too. But after a while, I just realized I don't fit into that box. So I should just like not try to force it. 
Yeah, I feel like so often it's like you either have examples and you're like, oh, being an artist, that's a total possibility. Or you're like, I don't even think that's real. I don't think that that sounds like it's it's a way to, I don't know, never move away from your parents <laughs> because you can't make any money or anything. I appreciate a, a little defiance of like, I'm going to go my own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like because my family has always been really supportive, the pressure that I felt wasn't from my family. It was from like my peers and my school environment, my teachers. I think like even trying to apply to art schools through my school was like, like my school counselors were like, we don't know really anything about that. (laughs) They're like, are you sure you want to do that? (laughs) And it's just like so many question marks. And like at that age, like obviously I still had a lot to figure out. So it was, I'm surprised that I kind of like stood my ground and was like, no, this is what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, put an effort to try and make it happen. Even though everyone was like, okay, good luck. We don't really know how to help you. Yeah. So you decided to go to art school and you were pursuing graphic design. Did you find that, that, you know, going to school, like being in that environment, you were like, oh yes, this finally feels right. Or were you like, I still have more figuring out to do, but this feels closer to right. Or I don't know. Cause I, I guess wondering also how graphic design may play a role in your work now. Cause I think, and maybe I'm projecting but I like I went to school for photography and I then pretty much immediately upon graduating was like okay that was cool now I have to do something completely different because that like I don't know I'm always curious when people take different steps in their art practice and like going from design to art I I love hearing how how people make those choices and find themselves there yeah I think well, at first I chose advertising. So SV oh, has a really, really strong like advertising department. And I like did my research. And also because I was afraid of becoming the starving artist, I was like, okay, well, I'll go to art school, but maybe I'll do advertising <laughs> because mm-hmm. that will still pay the bills. But I was in a few advertising classes, like foundation year. And then I was like, hmm. I don't really think this is for me. And it was really easy to just switch from advertising to graphic design. And graphic design just seemed like a little bit more, um, I don't know, there was more creative freedom. Um, it wasn't so like structured. So I was like, okay, I'll do graphic design. And I ended up really enjoying it. And I think a lot of it had to do with like my classmates and my teachers. Like all of our mm-hmm. teachers were like, professionals in the field that they were teaching in and I was just really inspired even though I was like oh I feel like there's so many people that are like really good at design and like have found their path in design and I was like I don't really know what that path looks like for me like you could go into like branding or I don't know web design or there's so many options but I never really like found like one corner of design that I felt like I could really thrive in. I think it was through my animation classes that I realized, wow, I really like to draw and I like to like tell stories through drawing. So 
that's when I started like um, incorporating more illustration work in my design projects. And my teachers were super open to that, but I realized I enjoyed the illustrating components more than the actual design part. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So yeah, I, I kind of just like realized that illustration was something that I wanted to explore more. And then after I graduated from SVA, I started doing different contract jobs. And a lot of them were like part design, part illustration. And I think I kind of did that on purpose because I was like, okay, how do I like make my way into illustration with the skills that I have in design? So it wasn't so much like I hated design or I wanted to get away from it. It was just like trying to figure out like how I can make it work as like something that I really felt like I could own. And um, yeah, I, I realized that I could do that through illustration. Like, and then that's when I found, found my voice, I think, was through illustrating. Yeah, I guess one of the questions I had was how you started to make that transition from um, both from graduating from art school and then starting to shift into this new direction with your work and I feel like that period of time for every artist you know post-graduation is just trying to kind of find your footing and figure out where your work might fit how to slowly start building a career and I'm really interested for someone like you who was also slowly making this pivot in terms of the creative work you were doing um, what were some of those early like professional experiences like and how are you starting to kind of like slowly generate opportunity in this new you know world of illustration yeah I think Back then, especially like right after graduating, I was so like excited about everything and still like had so much energy and like ambition. And um, I would take on, not that I'm not anymore, <laughs> just a lot more tired. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I yeah. That, <laughs> Amanda and I talk about this all the that time. Big same. <laughs> I know it's like sometimes I feel so jaded and then I'm like oh my gosh how did I get like this <laughs> same <Yeah>. same same <laughs> I think for us it's like being over 30 it's like just it was like a switch like just don't have the energy anymore so mm -hmm. there's yeah. some recalibrating that happens for sure but it's good that you can harness that early energy you have when you're like fresh out of art school and just ready to yeah. make it happen. <laughs> exactly. Like I definitely miss having that energy yeah. because I feel like, yeah, back then I was really excited about like, okay, there's so many possibilities. And um, I kind of just said yes to a lot, like everything, right? I was like hungry to for work and to build my portfolio. So... I did a lot of different things. I, <laughs> there was one point where I was like drawing, like drawing realistic references for someone who was trying to get their patent for like an invention, like a, wow. like a baby car seat and like invention. So I had to do like kind of technical drawings and I'm like not good at that. <laughs> But I was like, sure, I'll do that. And I was like, that's kind of like illustration, right? I get to draw. I don't know. There's just like a bunch of little like odd jobs that I would do here and there. And I was just excited about it all. But I think some of like the more 
like substantial jobs that I had that really influenced my decision to like go into illustration was that I had an internship at Nickelodeon and um, I was like working on their brand team because it was still like a design internship, but I did get to like illustrate stuff, like illustrate assets. And um, it was really fun because I got to like, get into the headspace of all these different shows and a lot of them are for like nick jr shows and so it was just like really fun and creative to like create these different illustration assets like kind of in these different personas and then i freelanced for the same team after i graduated so that was kind of reassuring to me i was like okay so this is kind of like an illustration slash design job. So these types of jobs do exist for people like me um, that kind of want to do both. So I think from there, I just kind of like was looking for jobs that had similar aspects where they like encouraged both illustration and design. And then on top of that, I, I worked really hard to build my personal portfolio like outside of these jobs yeah and at that time because I was like so inspired I I would just like I would get back from work and I would make a bunch of my personal work at home after work so it was just a lot of making and making and making and then kind of narrowing it down from there yeah so I think it took a lot of like trial and error because I was like, I want to do illustration, but it's like, do I want to do technical illustrations for like people who are trying to invent things or do I want to do, yeah. yeah do I want to like create my own style um, or do I want to illustrate for, yeah, things that already have established look and feels. Yeah. Have you been like freelancing pretty much since you've graduated or have you taken any other routes in your creative path along the way? Yeah. So after that first year of freelancing, right after I graduated, I got a job at WeWork. Mm. Are you familiar with WeWork? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was my first and only full-time job. Okay. But I worked there for three years. And that's actually what brought me out to California because I started at the WeWork in New York. I was there for two years and then um, moved out here and stayed a year. But WeWork was one of those jobs where it sounded like the perfect combination of illustration, painting, and graphic design. So Mm -hmm. our team was called like the art and graphics team and we got to design um, and install install a bunch of artwork for the offices so yeah that required us to like paint paintings on canvas and then paint murals or design wall graphics and signage neon signs so I got to do so many things that I'd never done before and that was like a dream job honestly it was like Mm -hmm. exactly what I was looking for (laughs) So I was like super excited um, to get that job. And I think that really helped me. That definitely helped me in my personal career too, because I got to try all these different things. And I realized I really love mural painting and I love like scaling my work um, and having them exist in like physical spaces. And yeah, after we work, I've been freelancing and it's been, oh my gosh, four years. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Four, three, three years? Three years. <laughs> yeah. I feel like with pandemic time, I always have to like think and calculate back. I'm like, wait, does that, do those years even count? I don't know. I know. It feels um, like it's been 10 years. So I'm like, yeah. I'm <laughs> so 10 years of freelancing. That's great. <laughs> no, that job with WeWork sounds awesome, though. I'm wondering, so were you able to then kind of bring your personal work into that space? Did you feel like you were essentially getting to do all of these personal projects for the WeWork offices? Or did you feel like they had a kind of a, um, I guess with like working for an in-house team, was there like an existing like brand identity or something that you kind of had to mold your work around, you know, versus getting to kind of bring your own personal uh, like vision to these projects and kind of execute them as if they were personal projects in your portfolio? Um, so we got to do both, which was, I think, really good for me. Yeah, because awesome. we had, yeah, we had to be able to like work in different styles just because like, obviously, all the different projects like had a different look depending on their location um, or the interior designer. So yeah, we worked super closely with the interior designers on these projects. And I think it was probably like 75% of the time we had to be like generalists. So if they wanted a specific style, then we had to be able to like make a mood board and then come up with sketches. Like, so it was still like very much a design process. But there were certain projects like murals where I got to like bring my figures in. And the very first time I ever got to paint my figures like on a mural was through WeWork. And that was in 2017, I think. So but I did a bunch of like, other murals and other art that was like, not personally what I would do but it was still really fun for me what i really love about the story of your job at nickelodeon and also at we work is it sounds like you kind of use your existing skill sets to get your foot in the door whether it was your background in design um, but then use those roles to expand your skill set into new directions whether through getting to try mural painting or working on different disciplines which i think is just a great strategy whether or not you were thinking of it in that way but to kind of like move yourself into a new career direction because you kind of need that space or platform to experiment if you're trying to do something new and I think for a lot of artists sometimes that comes in the form of personal projects uh like let's say you wanted to get into mural painting well you're just kind of like looking for walls or you're looking for opportunities but for you to kind of like carve out that space or to look for maybe specific roles that would allow you to do that um, as part of your day job, I think is really brilliant. And then getting to use some of those projects in that portfolio to really like, you know, start to build up your freelance career. Yeah, I think that was definitely like, I was conscious of it when taking on these jobs, just because like, I still needed job a job and to make money yeah (laughs) but I was like how can I get a job that can help me move in the direction that I'm trying to go in and um, even if at that specific moment it wasn't like the kind of work I envisioned myself to be doing like 10 years down the line it's like well I don't have any experience in any of this so it's 
really valuable for me to like take on these jobs and yeah, have like actual experience. Yeah. I I really want to hear more about some of the ways that those jobs may have informed your approach to freelance projects, but I guess before we get into that, it would be great to hear about how you started to maybe use some of those projects that you were doing at your day jobs to, you know, bring in more freelance clients or were some of those projects just starting to come to you naturally by like doing and sharing that work or were you actively going out and seeking freelance work on top of your day job? Um, You know, what were some of those early projects and how did they uh, come about for you? Yeah, I I do think it was like a mix of having to reach out to people versus just sharing the projects on social media and people eventually coming to me. But I remember I had really wanted to do editorial illustrations for a really long time. Like it was like such a dream of mine to do like a New York Times illustration. This was like after doing Nickelodeon and um, kind of realizing that I I needed to like come up with a point of view in my illustration work in order to kind of get those types of jobs but I started doing some design work for like a small startup and then they needed some illustrations for their like blog articles and stuff like that so I was really excited to do those illustrations because I was like, this is like an editorial illustration. Like maybe I can use this to get the types of editorial jobs that I want to get. So I think, yeah, I definitely like would reach out to art directors after I had some examples of like um, the kind of work that I wanted to do. And then, and then, yeah, I think because Instagram was like such a good platform for artists back in the day just because it wasn't as like saturated (laughs) um it was like pretty more rare for artists to be sharing their work on there um I think it helped that I shared a lot and eventually yeah I I would get like mural jobs like small mural gigs because I shared like a mural that I did for WeWork so someone was like can you like paint a wall in our office Yeah, so like small things like that really like added up. It was like definitely conscious effort on my part, but I'm also really thankful for Instagram and social media like existing then. Yeah, I feel like we've heard that echoed in other artists' stories too. And sometimes just, you know, sharing your work at that right moment and on the right platform can you know, get it in front of people that are are looking for something similar. I'm also wondering if some of the projects that you've taken on, especially for some of those larger clients, I'm sure having work in your portfolio at places like Nickelodeon and WeWork really helped um, either just having those like recognizable brands on a resume or just, you know, having your work in those spaces where people are seeing it every day. If you feel like that maybe helped to, you know, generate some of those larger clients or even just being in a place like the Bay Area. I know in my experience, I feel like just because it is such a, I mean, obviously the the barrier to entry to be here as an artist is really high, but 
at the same time, there are all these companies that are headquartered here. And so I feel like there is a lot of opportunity that maybe at least for me, like wouldn't have come about otherwise. And so I wonder about that sometimes, but just curious for some of these other um, places that you've worked with, uh, because you've done projects for places like Airbnb and Google and Facebook, um, how some of those like kind of bigger brands started to come about. And yeah, then maybe we can kind of dive more into what the process has been like for those projects. Yeah, I have to say that like, I think the main thing for getting these bigger clients has been like years of building my uh, personal illustration style. And I think like as someone who worked on the art team at WeWork, like we were commissioning artists all the time to like paint murals uh, locally. And what we looked for a lot was like artists that had a very distinct style and a distinct body of work so it was recognizable and we could just easily say like we like how you do this so can you do this for us I think once I reached that level in my like portfolio and in my work it was easier to get larger clients because I'm sure their teams are doing similar things where they're just like seeking artists who kind of have a voice that can speak to what they're looking for so I think in that case, like WeWork was super valuable, not just because I was able to create murals, but because I was able to see the other side of how things worked. Also with like pricing and yeah, just being on either side was really helpful. But I do think being in the Bay Area has helped a lot just because you said, like you said, um, so many companies are headquartered here. So Yeah, I think I've started working with those larger clients once I moved here because I moved here in 2018 and um, I started freelancing in 2019. So I had some time to like put my portfolio together after I decided to go like full-time freelance. And then uh, eventually I think once I worked for one client, maybe it was through word of mouth or just like having that those projects under my belt, it really helped get um, more projects down the line. Could you talk a little bit about the decision to go freelance from a day job? I know like Nicole and I, we've talked on the podcast before about, you know, oftentimes in our In the course of our artist careers, we may go in and out of various day jobs, either for need of stability or, you know, want for experience or want for a change of lifestyle and and work balance or whatever. Um, So I'm curious how you made that decision and kind of how it's been since. Like if you're enjoying the freelance life, do you find it to have been a a decision that you're glad you took or? Yeah. Yeah, I I think I was just really burnt out at one point, like trying to juggle having a day job and doing my own thing on the side. Cause towards the Mm -hmm. end of my time at WeWork, I was getting like um, pretty steady freelance projects. I was doing editorial illustrations a lot. And I realized I started having to turn down a lot of uh, projects like outside of work because I just didn't have the time or energy to take them on. Mm-hmm. And I think that was when I was like, wow, it's kind of like sad. I'm missing out on all these like opportunities. And it's also a good sign that I was getting these opportunities in the first place. So I decided to make the leap 
And I was also just kind of looking for a change of pace too. Um, after having been at that job for three years, I wanted to see if I could do it on my own. And I really love the freedom of freelancing and having like a flexible schedule and kind of like doing things on my own terms. I get to say yes and no to whatever I want. And it's been really nice. Like, I don't know if I can go back to the job again. Yeah. But one aspect <laughs> I really miss is, well, actually, no, there's multiple, the stability, obviously, but I also really miss like being around other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I started freelancing before the pandemic. So I was already kind of like, hmm, yeah, this is interesting. I'm like alone a lot. Um, But I made the conscious decision to be in like a shared studio space so that I would have like other people around that are also doing creative things. Um, And once the pandemic hit, I was like, wow. So I guess working remotely is like what most freelancers feel like, like being really isolated. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, that's one thing I really miss about like working somewhere where there's like a team. Yeah. Because I'm a one-woman team, and it is kind of hard, you know, having to wear all the hats and oh my god, yeah. make all the decisions. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, like, should I say yes to this project? I don't know. Okay, I'm going to say yes. And I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. I should not have said yes. But there's no one around to tell me, like, no, you shouldn't take it because you're going to be too burnt out and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I can do it. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I... um. I feel like you're describing my experience a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's it's like so common and yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking hard. I like, I definitely, I also started like working for myself a little bit before the pandemic and kind of had noticed early on, like, man, this is very lonely when you just, you know, work in your own space and it's, really easy to get in your head all the time and like stay there and like trap yourself there and then you know or just like go down creative rabbit holes that maybe don't make any sense and then you're like why did I just spend hours doing this thing like that was such a bad idea like that didn't work and you know of course it's all part of the process but I definitely like I haven't had that experience really since school of like being able to collaborate with other artists. Um, I mean, aside from with the podcast, but it's a very different form of collaboration. But I know that also like with freelancing and with working for yourself, like every year really looks different. And there are, there are like drastically different learning experiences that you have year to year that sometimes contradict each other. And I would love to hear about kind of what you've been learning year to year in your business and, and, and in working for yourself and freelancing. Yeah. It's so interesting because my work really picked up in 2020 because of the pandemic, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually like terrified, obviously when, you know, March, 2020 rolled around. Cause I was like, um, am I going to get any jobs? What's going to happen? Yeah. I've only been freelancing for a year and the first mm-hmm. year was very slow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I knew it would be really slow, but then knowing that we were all going to be locked inside for an indefinite amount of time, I was like, well, should I just, should I get a job? Like, sh- yeah, I was like, should I just 
look for a design job or something. So there were a lot of like uncertainties, but luckily things really picked up and I'm super, super grateful for that. And I think it's the ball has been like rolling ever since, but yeah, ironically, I was so tired by the end of 2020, not just like, you know, emotionally exhausted from everything, but like Mm -hmm. I said yes to almost everything that went, came my way because I was so worried about like the future. Um, and, and so I ended up taking on a lot of jobs that I might not have usually taken on, like something that wasn't like typically what I would do, but yeah, I I was really burnt out. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more selective. Um, if this happens again, the next year. So last year, 2021, I was more selective, but I think I still (laughs) did a little bit too much. I think I'm really bad at saying no. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the things about like working alone is like, there's no one to keep me like accountable. Like I can just say yes to everything. And then I'm the one suffering for it. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I can suffer a little bit. It's fine. Yes. So this year I'm like, okay, no, I really need to take breaks in between like large projects. I think that I also think like the buildup of exhaustion from 2020 has just been like very like a huge weight. So Mm -hmm. I think I work a lot slower. I get burnt out more easily. And so I have to be even more mindful than I normally have to be of like what I'm taking on and how much energy I'm putting out into the world and how much I'm giving it back to myself. Yeah. So I think that's one of the main lessons that I'm still obviously learning (laughs) because it's really easy for me to like forget. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I'm not tired today. So, (laughs) so I'll say yes to this new project. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's like you always forget about the, I was talking to my partner about like meditating and journaling and I was like, oh yeah, like I think about doing it when I'm feeling horrible and I'm like, I desperately need this as like medicine for my soul to get better. And then when I'm feeling fine, I don't think about doing those things, but like those are the things that help keep me okay. And it's like, I don't know, when you're feeling fine, you kind of forget that you you still have a limited capacity and like you push it constantly. And, and technically, uh, Nicole and I are like on a break from the podcast right now because we we were going to, we like committed at the beginning of the year to try to release episodes every week. And we've never done that before. We've been podcasting for five years and it like, it took us that long to get to like 100 episodes. But we forgot that like we set those goals ourselves and like we don't have to fulfill them we can shift and change and like you know there's no reason to to push ourselves like I don't know we're we're constantly (laughs) like swaying back into the hustle culture while simultaneously trying to push back from it and it's like how do you even remember to stay I don't know consistent but I I think that's just you, you always have to remind yourself you like keep shifting and then having to shift back to healthier boundaries and they're like constantly changing too. Like what worked for you yesterday may not 
work for you tomorrow and our capacities are just well mine just keeps dropping <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it's hard because like you have to like be so aware of it all the time too because you're the one making the decisions and yeah this is like oh my gosh so much to keep track of yeah it's like how do you remember to to check in with yourself and be like am I good am I am I going too hard am I like you know, is my, is my time well? Am I doing the things I need to do to feel human and, and like a, a part of my community? Like it's, it's hard to remember. Like you just, I don't know, it's easy to, to default mode into like, just keep working, just keep making work. And especially when you're in circumstances like the pandemic and, and like right after a first year of freelancing, it's like, you don't even consider the luxury of no as as an option it's like it's like no i i, I can't it's, it's a privilege i can't consider at this point mm-hmm. um, yeah exactly yeah 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 hearing you all talk about this is so reassuring um because like amanda said we've been relearning this lesson over and over with the podcast and with our personal lives and i think there's so much like future planning involved with working for yourself where like you were saying, Jocelyn, it's not just about like saying yes or no to something based on how you feel or how you're doing today, but thinking of like, what is this going to be like a month from now? And I'm in the thick of it. And I feel like as an artist, there's, or as a freelancer, um, there's so much like faith and trust in the future involved and, being able to, or I don't know, like saying yes or no to certain opportunities based on where you think it's going to lead or making the decision to say no to something, even though you don't know what else might take the place of it a few months from now, can be really hard to do, especially in the wake of like all of this uncertainty. And so I feel like there's just just such an element like such an exercise of trust uh like i'm gonna say no to this thing and also i'm gonna trust that like something else or something better is going to come along and just like allowing yourself to work through the emotional roller coaster of that and i don't know i feel like that's something i'm learning constantly because i just passed the one year mark of kind of going like full-time freelance and it's been yeah interesting because i do feel like there's that just emotional like the weight that's carried over from the last few years. Uh, So like just not having the energy to like take on everything and say yes to all the things like I used to. And so like consciously making an effort to slow down while also trusting that like things are still going to happen and like the wheels are still going to turn and opportunities will come about even if I'm not like hustling 24-7. And I feel like that's been one of the harder like mental shifts to make. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said like trust in the future because that is so accurate. (laughs) I guess like starting out, like I did not trust the future at all. I was like, um, I don't know. So yeah, I'm going to say yes to everything. But now I'm like trying to remind myself to also listen to like my gut instinct. So sometimes things will come my way and I'll take it on, but I'm maybe a little bit unsure of it from the get-go. And I think that's very telling because then throughout the process, I that feeling doesn't go away or, you know, it's like I have I also have to like trust myself to know what's best for me. But yeah, that can be overshadowed by so many things. 
like, I don't know, the budget of the project or like, okay, will this project lead me to something else? And so, yeah, there's a lot of trust involved, like all around. Yeah, for sure. I guess in, in continuing the topic of trust, like how, how do you, how do you know when to like check in with yourself or or how to check in with yourself to trust that you're going down the right path? Or is that, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> this is probably not an easy question. Um, Cause I very much am always like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and like then have moments where I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing. I have a plan. I've got it all figured out. I've got it. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> it's fine. But then, you know, somehow it's like you figure it out at the end of the month and you're like, okay, well, the bills are paid and I guess we're still moving forward and like progressing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think some people are so disciplined and organized and will like, I don't know, have very organized check-ins with like how they're doing. But I think for me, it's a lot more like intuitive maybe. And I think there's just certain days where I will sit down and really think about it or really look back on like what I've been working on. Like, is this what I want to be working on in the Mm -hmm. future? Or is there like a different path that I want to kind of explore? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of been happening this, these past couple of years where I've like kind of tried to step back a little bit to reflect on like, okay, what is it that I really want to like continue working on and give my energy to? And I think it's been super helpful. Like I've done a couple of artist residencies and like having that like time and space like away from my everyday reality, it really helps me get gain some perspective. And most recently I was in Oaxaca Uh, Mexico in October just being like surrounded by like a really inspiring group of residents and like seeing what everyone dedicates their um, creative practice to it really made me reflect like why am I even like what is this even all about (laughs) Yeah, yeah it's my career but like obviously I didn't become an artist to be rich because I would have picked a different path if I wanted to be rich. Wait, what? But, yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, so it's like, okay, well then it should, then I should just be doing things for like the money. Like there mm-hmm. has to be like a deeper meaning for myself personally in all the work that I'm making. But I think because I've been in that headspace for so long, like, finding stability, saying yes to everything and just kind of crunching numbers with everything that comes my way. I've just been stuck in that mentality of like making art to survive and not really like Mm -hmm. making art to like thrive, like not just financially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that was pretty eye opening for me. It's like, okay, I need to, set some time um, outside of like my commercial illustration work to work on things that will help me grow and evolve as an artist. So I don't feel like I'm constantly doing the same thing or being becoming stagnant. 
yeah, but it's a very difficult balance, obviously. And there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah. Yeah. There never are. Yeah. That's so interesting uh, to hear you talk about, though, um, because I actually just got back from an artist residency recently, too, and I feel like that was very much my experience. Um, I was in Newfoundland, Canada for the month of April, and I felt like up until that point, I was also just really focused on like what's coming up next, what projects are like coming my way, how do I generate new, you know, opportunities, like really fixated on the financial picture and just like what's gonna you know happen in the next few months and I think that residency also for me was really a chance to step back and like reconnect with my creative practice and just think more broadly about like what am I interested in what do I want both like life-wise but just like mostly creatively and to kind of uh, get that clarity back, I think, around what I wanted my work to be about and then to, you know, bring that back into future decisions. And I did, I do feel like it alleviated a little bit of that anxiety that I had of just being so preoccupied all the time with like what was on the horizon. And I don't know, maybe to like what we were talking about earlier, just a, another, like a, a break from routine being another way to help bring clarity and then okay. cultivate that so sense of trust in the future. But it's hard to do, especially, I mean, it's not every day you can like go away for a like couple weeks or a month long residency, but just like that daily intuition, like you're talking about too, kind of listening to how you're feeling. Yeah. And even like yeah, taking that month off for me was like such a big decision. Like, can I take this month off? It's like right before the holidays, I get a bunch of holiday projects every year. I'm, and I made the conscious decision of like, I'm not going to take on any work during my residency. And it was like, oh, it was so hard. <laughs> it was hard for me to be like, no, I can't do it because I'm dedicating time to myself. I'm like is this even smart? <laughs> and there's so much like doubt going into it, but like, obviously in hindsight, it's like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. I'm glad I made the decision to just focus on myself and my own creative practice during that time. Yeah. It's crazy how radical that decision can feel. Like, can I afford to take time for myself? I feel like that is just a daily... It's like, of course, like, obviously, that's the most important thing, right? Like, especially when you're working for yourself, it's like everything stems from that. So I feel like even knowing that on some level, it's just so easy to get sucked into, you know, all of these other loops and to just like make that really conscious decision that, yeah, you're going to dedicate this time or like you're going to say no to this opportunity. I don't know. It's almost like a form of self-care. It's like making sure that you're like carving out that time space energy to just like feed yourself first before taking on all these other things and ironically I feel like that is sometimes what leads to other things it's like I don't know I, I guess I just keep coming back to that idea of trust it's like you know at least for me I feel like when I do take that time or when I do allow myself that space or whatever it is that I feel like I really need, then 
those things that I was worried about, like whether or not they're going to happen, it's like they do come about. It's like the next project does come or the opportunities will crop up, you know, but it's never when I'm like so fixated and worried about it. It's like once you've taken a step back and you're, you know, focused on something else. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like I'm personally just like afraid of not evolving as an artist. Like obviously I've been drawing the same thing for so many years, but I really want to make sure I'm like challenging myself. And I think it can be really easy to get into this like comfort zone where I know what I need to do. If this type of client comes to me, I already know what the work is going to look like. It's like, I've done it a bunch of times. It's like really repetitive and like um, straightforward. And I think I want to challenge myself and not get into that type of place where I'm not even really like thinking about the work on a deeper level anymore. And yeah, I think it's important to me to like experiment and yeah, just try to push myself here and there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to kind of be, (laughs) to get trapped in like the cozy comforts of your comfort zone. But Nicole and I had done this live event and it was so far out of our comfort zones. And like, I (laughs) was just like sweating with anxiety the whole time. But it was such a rewarding experience. And as like scary as it was, it was so important to try. And it, you know, it, it gave me a lot of confidence in areas that I, I didn't have before. And I think it's easy to forget that on the other side of that discomfort and that unknown is like, that's where you're growing. That's where you're having new opportunities and and expanding your your creative output and into new areas and and new methods and like I mean you said you were doing ceramics recently like that's so completely different from all these other forms of art making and like I'm sure that's got to be like uncomfortable like figuring out the logistics of a completely new material that is like moody (laughs) and temperamental to work with yeah definitely it's but I I it's like I really miss being in the learning environment. So like getting to learn how to use this new material um, and being in class. Like I took a six week uh, hand building course and having like a teacher there to show me the ropes. I, I was like, wow, this is like what I really missed and what I really need. Like I want to like be learning more. I miss the feeling of like learning something new. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, I've only been working with um, clay for a short amount of time. Like I've done wheel throwing before, but now doing hand building, there's like so many more possibilities when it comes to like um, my figure and making it three-dimensional. But at the same time, I like don't know the material well enough to bring my ideas to life. Like I'm like, I have this idea, but how do I get it from A to B? <laughs> like it's existing in my brain but I literally have no idea like how to go about it and but I'm really excited by that feeling like Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of like when I first started teaching myself how to like illustrate and I was like painting in photoshop like using all these textures and I'm like well I really want it to look like this how do I make it look like that like as an end result and then finally doing it after so many hours of trial and error and I'm like 
so rewarding. What a rewarding feeling. So yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, there's so much fun in that, that frustration of the learning experience, because you're like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out, making it happen. I'm I'm figuring out how to make this vision. And yeah, it it takes so long to figure out when you're doing something new, how to make your idea actually (laughs) into what you're producing. And I'm curious how you're also like shifting between different mindsets, like between client work and personal work and more like exploratory, playful work, I guess, how you manage your your time. Good question. How do I manage my time? Everyone says I'm a workaholic. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, no, none of us do. Artists Um, are so unfamiliar with that. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess since I'm a workaholic, I have so many hours dedicated to working. Um, so I do have enough time to <laughs> do client work and my personal work. But actually, I think going into my residency in last October, when I first applied to the residency, I they like asked what you want to work on. And I basically wrote like, I want to work on being more free in my personal work. Because after years of doing client work, I don't really know where to begin when it comes to personal work. Like I'm sitting in front of a canvas and I'm like, how do I even, like, what do I even do? Like it's such a foreign feeling, like just having the freedom to do anything that I want. And so recently I've just been, ever since the residency, I've just been trying to like exercise that part of my brain and like, okay, um, now this is your time versus client time. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's been helping to have some sort of separation or like be conscious about the separation and just acknowledging that I do have to be in a different like headspace when I'm doing like client work versus personal work. And I think that's kind of translated into like stylistic differences in my work too. Um, Cause for a lot of client work, I work pretty digitally. So a lot of the times it ends up being more like flat, bold and graphic. So in my painting and like ceramic work, there's different qualities to it that I think I'm trying to push myself to create. Otherwise I think everything ends up being so blurred there's no like distinct separation and I think that's that ends up being really hard for me to distinguish like okay I can be free in creating now or later like I don't know so then I'm just like never trying to experiment um I was going to ask you uh and you had started talking about this a little bit earlier I think uh, around your time at WeWork and just um, what you were learning being kind of on the other side of the desk and as far as client projects or just your approach to different projects. And I'm just curious if there are um, other things that you gained from some of those day jobs that inform the way that you approach freelance projects. Yeah, I guess it could relate to your approach creatively or uh, like more on the business side you talked a little bit about pricing or maybe even just like the client communications and 
Uh, so I'm just curious, like, what were some of the things that you learned through those day jobs that you've taken into your freelance practice um, that may be helpful for other artists, too, that are, you know, solely on the freelance side, uh, like things that you wish maybe other artists would know about the process? Yeah, pricing was definitely one of the more valuable things that I think I learned on being on the other side because I had never been commissioned to like paint a mural before outside of my job. So it was really helpful to know like what kinds of budgets companies had or like um, how different artists price their mural work. So like some people would price it by square footage. Some people had like a different system. And um, I, I thought that was really, really helpful. Also, we had sometimes like we would design the mural, but we needed like a company to paint it for us or something like that. And seeing like how much companies like that would charge. It's all these like logistical sides of like mural painting because that that was one of the things that like I knew I wanted to do more of. That was really helpful. And then I think on the other hand, it was just like seeing the types of portfolios that artists had and like what kind of artists we would look for to commission. And it's like, okay, well, they had to have like a very distinct style and they didn't necessarily, like for murals, artists didn't necessarily have to have done murals in the past, but we just wanted to like, see work that would translate really well into a physical space. So I became more aware of the kinds of uh, projects or um, works that I had to put on my website so that it could like signal to people like, okay, I can do this type of work um, or I want to be hired for this type of work. So yeah, I think it was really, really valuable just being on the other side of things and it was through being on the other side of things that I realized I wanted to be on the artist freelance side because <laughs> I, I started becoming like envious like oh wow these people are getting like we're commissioning them for such cool things like I want to become one of those artists <laughs> so, yeah yeah I guess diving into the pricing piece a little bit further I'm curious how you've navigated that within the various types of projects you've taken on because you're practice is so multidisciplinary from illustration to painting how have you kind of determined like some kind of a system or structure for those different types of work I'm curious too because I feel like my practice has a similar um like I am a painter but have also done installation based work and also painted murals so for mural painting usually for me it's based on square footage and then trying to calculate out some of those like hard material costs if I know there's going to be like a scissor lift rental involved or maybe travel. So like doing some of those quick calculations to come up with a quote, but having like a, you know, kind of some sort of standard based on the scale. Whereas like paintings in the studio is really different for me, like also based on scale, but you know, my approach to like commission projects versus like the way I price work in the studio is really different. And then now more recently, I've been moving into public art, which is like a very different way of assembling a budget or thinking about like different costs associated with the project. So yeah, just curious, like if there are any other examples you could share of how you've uh, developed that for the disciplines that you work in. 
Yeah, I feel like pricing is one of the hardest things about being a freelancer. But luckily, I have to admit, I don't have a good system pricing, but I have a lot of friends that I can ask. So I feel like I have a lot of freelance friends that have worked for like similar clients or have done projects that are on a similar scale to what I've done. And luckily, everyone's really generous in like sharing their information or any insight. And that is like the main way I figure out how I should price each project because there's certain projects that come my way that I'm like, Oh, I've never done anything like this before. Like, Oh, it's a packaging project. I've never Mm -hmm. done packaging before. I have no idea how much to charge for something like this. And I personally don't do like hourly rates. Um, I prefer to do like flat fees for things, especially for like illustration projects. But yeah, sometimes I'm like completely lost So it's super helpful that I have like a networking community of like illustrators and artists that I can like uh, reach out to. But like with stuff like murals, just because I did work at WeWork and have like more experience in that. Yeah, I price, that's like the only sort of work where I have an actual system for pricing where it's like, yeah, I have like a, a cost for the design portion of it. Then that's the square footage Uh, for the painting and installation and then there's material costs and like equipment rental travel expenses Um, I feel like that is almost like the most straightforward in terms of pricing whereas everything else is kind of like I don't know so hard to price how am I supposed to know (laughs) yeah yeah having that network of other artists turn to is huge I feel like and being able to compare notes I'm wondering, too, if uh, for some of these companies, if they're very forthright about that, do they typically give you a budget up front or is it more that they're, you know, you're being asked to quote something and then kind of like doing this research behind the scenes to come up with something that feels fair? I think for like editorial illustrations, um, they usually have a budget. So they'll like come to me and be like, hey, this is a deadline. It's for this article. And this is the budget. Can you do it? Yes or no? Because usually editorial illustrations have a pretty tight deadline, so they can't really negotiate back and forth. But everything else, I feel like most people will come to me and ask, what is your budget? And I think you've seen those, that meme before, I'm sure. It's like... Um, is it the Spider-Man of like, who first? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, what's your budget? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's like every every day. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I know that well. <laughs> yeah. And then for paintings, I'm pretty new to like pricing paintings too. So that's also kind of like, I don't know how much this is worth. I'm just gonna throw a number out there and keep my fingers crossed or something. Yeah. So often the numbers feel like kind of arbitrary and you're like well I yeah I know I need at least this much but I don't even know how long this is going to take me so I'm not sure what like my time would be worth at the end of this but hopefully enough but yeah just always ask for more if you can <laughs> yeah exactly yeah are there any tools or resources or like bits of advice that you would want to share with any listeners like whether it's uh like organizational programs or time management or like 
really great podcasts or books um, or like blogs or I don't know. I don't know what's on the internet these days, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, I use an app called TickTick for my personal projects. Like It's kind of like a to-do list, mm. uh, calendar type thing. And that's like primarily what I use to keep track of everything that I'm working on and all my deadlines. I, I feel like there's probably like more advanced apps out there. Like TikTok is pretty straightforward and simple, but that's what I prefer. Cause mm-hmm. I basically wanted to like replicate what I would write down or like how I would mark up a calendar, but just like on my computer. But yeah, another app that I use and actually heard on one of your other episodes, you guys are talking about this, but um, Astropad. Yeah. I use oh, yeah. Astropad a lot. Oh. Yeah. I've been using that for years and years just because um, I animate. So I mm. use my iPad as my tablet, but then I'll mirror the laptop screen so that I can animate directly in Photoshop. So I'm just like drawing all the frames. So I love Astropad. I don't really use Procreate that much, even though a lot of illustrators like swear by Procreate. But I think Mm -hmm. uh, I'm unfortunately like a diehard Photoshop fan for illustration. I am too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, you just can't get that level of detail unless you're using Photoshop. Uh, So, yeah. Hmm. Any other tools? In my studio for making my paintings, I really like using mural brushes, actually. Mm-hmm. So like all those angled brushes that you can get at Home Depot for like wall painting, I like to use those for my my canvas paintings. And I feel like it's like a secret because nobody does that, but I feel like it brushes on so nicely <laughs> on canvas and I love them, yeah. There's this really great brush you probably have in your studio. I feel like um, I used to do a lot of commercial mural painting when I first graduated from art school. And so this was like favorite, like smoothest brush. It's like a shorter one. It has that blue kind of like rubbery handle. The angle. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. It's the best. (laughs) I love it. Oh, I've used that brush. (laughs) And I don't even really paint. (laughs) Yeah. It's like every Home Depot Lowe's wherever has it, but... Yeah. Yeah. They're called shortcuts. And yeah, I love them. Um, You mentioned that you had also taken a class recently for ceramics. Is that something that you do often as far as like seeking out courses or classes in order to acquire new skills or anything like digitally or even like locally that you turn to for those types of things? Yeah, I really like taking classes. And I think, yeah, like I mentioned before, like I used to just do wheel throwing. So I've taken that, I think like at least three or four, like eight week week wheel throwing classes, just because Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something creative outside of what I do every day. And then I decided to do hand building uh, earlier this year because I was really inspired by all the, the pottery and clay that I saw in Oaxaca. So we got to like, Uh, play with clay over there too and I was like wow it would be really fun to like kind of continue this so I signed up for that class and yeah I think I'm always like I I don't have very many like hobbies that are not creative 
So I'm pretty much always just seeking like other cre- new creative things to try or learn. Um, mm-hmm. So I love like doing workshops and stuff like that. And I'm always like on the lookout. Yeah, Nicole and I had talked not too long ago about like trying to, well, my desire to try to find more hobbies because I keep turning all of my hobbies into like, well, now this is part of my business. And it's it's a slippery slope because if it stays a hobby, it can be like very relaxing and meditative, no pressure, just whatever you want. But then the second it becomes a business, it has all this pressure, or, you know, it, it becomes work, it gets all this pressure. But I never think about taking classes. And I, I don't know why, because I really enjoyed learning in school and like, I can continue. Yeah, I guess it was hard like during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these things, all these resources out there, but it is hard to like remember that they exist or, Mm -hmm. or like if you just don't know about them, then you don't know about them. I think like I have the type of personality where I'm like constantly just like seeing what's out there. And it's always been that way, like events, classes, residencies. I'm just like really curious, like, ooh, Mm -hmm. what like new thing could I possibly like get into? But yeah, there's like, I think there's still so many things that I don't know about. Sometimes I just like stumble upon them. Yeah. And there's so much, it's like, you you just have this one life. You want to learn as much as you can and why not? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've covered so much as far as balancing between different disciplines and projects, but also just, I feel like the kind of emotional aspect of being a full-time freelancer and trusting in what's ahead and uh, finding how to, you know, ways to take care of yourself in the meantime. And um, yeah, I feel like uh, it's been really really lovely and reassuring to talk to you too because so much of what you've described as like part of that process and journey we've um, heard echoed in other artist stories and I know really uh, closely resembles Amanda and I too so it's just always nice to hear that you know some of these things are maybe universal like just the like emotional roller coaster behind trying to build a life as an artist and um, yeah I feel like there was yeah 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 it's been wonderful where i guess before we go where can uh listeners find your work uh where can they follow you online or maybe see it in person on instagram i'm at jocelyn tsai i'm pretty much jocelyn tsai everywhere uh i'm very lucky because my dad misspelled our last name i think when registering it in english so there's like an h at the end of Thai where it, there usually isn't mm-hmm. so I got all the domain names and stuff uh, but oh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> thanks dad but jocelynthai.com um, I'm also on TikTok but I never post I rarely post anything mostly TikTok's like a challenge, challenge. <laughs> yeah like I have more joy in like posting videos of my cats than of like my work on there but yeah in person, I have some murals in Oakland, San Francisco, New York, and LA. Awesome. And we'll have uh, links in our show notes to your website and your social media handles and everything. Uh, so listeners can just go look at your work. Thank you so much for talking with us and sharing your, your thoughts and story and we so appreciated having you and I'm 
just like grateful to get a chance to talk to you. I've been following your work for a little while and I just selfishly just love it and love getting to talk to artists I really admire and respect. Thank you so much for reaching out and like having me on the podcast. It's really fun to chat with other creatives. True, true. Yeah, likewise. That's all for today's episode of Beyond the Studio. You can find episode notes, images, links, and references over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to submit to our listener spotlight and sign up for our email list to find out about upcoming guests, events, special announcements, podcast giveaways, and more. If you love listening to Beyond the Studio, please leave us a rating and review and share the show with your creative community. Thanks! Actually, I think I have seen one of your murals um, in my neighborhood of Dogpatch at an ice cream shop down the street. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) I thought so. Um, I actually, it's funny, I've never been to that ice cream shop. It's like the one place in my neighborhood that I haven't haven't been to yet, which feels like a tragedy because I really love ice cream. So So good. Yeah. It's high on the to-do list. Flavors. And um, yeah, highly recommend, not just because my mural is in there, but their ice cream is actually really good. Awesome. Yeah, Nicole, you have to go get some ice cream before this episode comes out. Yeah, okay, that's your deal. challenge. Okay, deal, deal. <laughs> Shouldn't be too hard to fulfill.